Well, good morning, East Point. How's everyone doing today? Well, good. Good to see you, Ray. All right. Uh, I hope everyone's doing well. Uh, I was excited about our our series, God's Love Letters. And uh, I was excited whenever Dustin gave me my assignment. He's not going to be able to be here this weekend. And uh, before we go any further, haven't the Fultons and Dustin just been great? They've just done a great job here so far. We've we're so excited about their ministry here and to each one of us, and uh, we're so thankful for the, for the Fultons. But uh, he shared with me that we're going to be preaching on love letters, and I just thought, you know, if there's anyone that's an expert on love letters, it's, it's me, of course. And I wish my wife, Audra, was here. She would verify that fact that I'm great at love letters. She's in Bettendorf right now uh, packing meals. But she would tell you how good I was at love letters. And it's kind of a lost art. Now, Audra and I, we've, we've been married now for 20 years. We're celebrating 20 years this week, in fact. And so that, that applause should all be for Audra. She has put up me, with me for 20 years. But uh, when we were first dating, we kind of did the long-distance relationship. We met at college, but then she went home to New Jersey for the summer, and I was in Ohio. And... Our parents would only let us talk on the phone once a week because it usually lasted three or four hours, and uh, the long distance uh, would add up. And m- many of you understand long distance. Uh, some of the younger ones, long distance call, that, that makes no sense at all. But um, so we wrote a lot of letters, and I just thought it would be fun this morning. I actually found the first letter that I, I ever wrote to Audra, and I thought it'd be fun to read that this morning. I'm so glad that she's not here today, all right? And so I am allowed to do this. There's no one going to stop me. Someone should stop me, all right? But it just says, what's a warning? We're recording it. All right, I could be in big trouble. We might not make it. I think, I, I think Tuesday is, is our actual anniversary. We might not make it to Tuesday, so we'll see. But here's what it says. Dear beautiful. Isn't that a great way to start? I started all right. It was nice meeting you a few nights ago while studying in Sky Lounge. I just want to emphasize studying. There's a lot of studying going on. Hopefully you will remember me. I was the one wearing the cool new kids on the block t-shirt. All right. Hanging Tough, one of the top five albums of all time, all right? You can't dispute that. You can't dispute that. New Kids on the Block t-shirt, aren't they so rad, all right? Starting out good here, isn't it? Ever since that night, I cannot stop thinking about you. I mean, I was in Old Testament history studying the Battle of Jericho, and I wondered, if I marched around you seven times, would you fall for me? (laughs) And then... And then, it gets better, and then I was in English Lit class, and I thought, hey, if I could rearrange the alphabet, I would definitely put you and I together. They're too far apart. I was studying through the book of Numbers the other day, and I realized I didn't have yours. And I know that Jesus has called you, and I was just wondering if I could call you as well. Just check yes or no. If you check yes, I know that there is a God. If you check no, just don't tell anyone about this letter, especially my mom. I'll owe her $20. As you can see, I was quite the Don Juan, all right? 
and she's still married. She checked yes for reasons we have no idea. Maybe it was, maybe it was the old spice that I, I put around this thing. We'll never know, but I'm thankful that she did. Well, today's love letter is from an expert in love uh, letter writing, and I've got a special deliverer here. All right. All right, appreciate that, Brooks. Oh, all right. From somebody who loves us. It says, to my love. Not, not too bad, not too bad. It's not Old Spice, but not too bad. All right. And this love letter, I'm sure, would have made everyone, including the Church of Smyrna, to who it was written, to swoon over the writer who was Jesus written to his bride, the church, and is willing, who is willing to die for the church. And I just want to see what it says here. I'm sure it's a great word of encouragement, a great word of love to the church in Smyrna. And it says this, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? These are the words of him who is the first and last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty. You are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison and to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. And whoever hears these words, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. I don't know that it's quite the love letter that we're expecting. It was quite that romantic. It was quite that, I will walk to the ends of the earth. I will take care of you kind of love letter. And I really think that if he would have put, yeah, hey, check yes or no at the end of this, I don't know that too many of people would have checked yes to that love letter. It was more like that new kids on the block hanging tough. Hey, you need to hang tough. And it is that kind, and that is the kind of what Jesus is calling the church of Smyrna to do, is just to hang tough. And so what do we know about Smyrna? What do we know about that church in Smyrna? First of all, Smyrna was a thriving city, but it wasn't always a thriving city. In 688 BC, the Ionians conquered Smyrna, just left it for ruins. It was just a small village or non-existent at all. And it wasn't until 400 years later that Alexander the Great decided to build up that great city. And Jesus kind of talks into that dead, once was dead and now alive. We know that the Smyrna was a thriving port city of its day. It was 40 miles north of Ephesus, where we talked about last week. And it was an important trade route to Athens, Greece. It was known for its wealth. It was known for its fertile soil. It was known for its climate. And myrrh was the chief export of Smyrna, by which Smyrna got its name, myrrh. Now, myrrh was a perfume or a burial spice, and it came from a tree that when myrrh was pressed, whenever it was pressed or whenever it was crushed, it would 
give off this sweet fragrance or this sweet aroma. And it's interesting to think that the myrrh that the wise men brought to Jesus' family may have come from Smyrna, or the myrrh that was placed on Jesus' body may have come from Smyrna. In fact, there was probably a good chance it came from Smyrna. But the most important thing we need to know, understand this morning to this letter, is that Smyrna was under Roman rule. And at that time, the refusal to worship the emperor was normally punishable by death that started in that first century A.D. And this was until the Edict of Toleration in 313 A.D., where Emperor Constantine finally declared Christianity was no longer to be put down, but rather embraced. And Christians during that time, from first century all the way through 313, they went through 10 waves of persecution from 10 different emperors that came into power during that time. Experts approximate that over 7 million Christians during this time were stretched on racks, fed to lions, burned burned at the stake simply because They were followers of Jesus Christ. They followed the way. They proclaimed Christ as Lord. And this this is the church of Smyrna that Jesus is calling to faithfulness in the face of suffering. He's calling them to faithfulness in the face of persecution. And Jesus says, I know your afflictions. I know your poverty. And another word for, for afflictions is tribulation. That word tribulation or affliction was a word for an ancient torture where they would lay a person on his back and then they would just put weights on him and weights on him and more weight and apply more pressure and pressure until that victim could not breathe. And the suffering and persecution was coming at them from all directions. Tribulation and pressure was coming at them from all directions. Jesus recognized four of those weights, four of those pressures those early Christians in the church of Smyrna would likely have had to endure or were already enduring. And the first one is poverty. They were poor. They were the peasants of society. The Jews, which had exemption from the government and their religious practices, looked down on the Christians, but so did the Roman citizens. I mean, even if you set up your stand and you worked hard, who would want to buy from a lowly Christian? Who would want to hire a lowly Christian? And it was tough to make a living as a believer. And this was much due to the slander that they were taking in that day. So many times they were referred to as cannibals because they would practice communion, eating of the body and drinking of the cup of the blood of Jesus Christ who was shed out for, for many They were accused of immorality because they would greet one another with a holy kiss. They were accused of incest because they would call each other brother or sister. They made up whatever they could, and then they would take it to the government, and they were persecuted. Jesus refers to the Jewish oppressors as the synagogue of Satan. And this wasn't all the Jews, but they were attacking attacking the church and they were descendants they were definitely descendants of abraham they were jewish but they weren't doing god's will they were doing satan's will instead 
But the pressure and tribulation continued to get worse for the followers of that day. Jesus warns them that they would have to endure imprisonment. Now, Jesus says 10 days, and you can take that as a literal 10 days, or you can take that as a brief period of time, or you could even interpret that possibly as the 10 waves of Roman emperors that would come in and they would persecute the church. But either way, for many, it would be a period of time, although for some, they would have to endure the ultimate sacrifice. They would have to, they would have to endure even death. And that form of suffering or persecution just seems so foreign to our world, so foreign to our lives here in the United States, seems so foreign to suggest to our church that you could be killed for your faith. I mean, Revelations 2.10 has really haunted me since I was a child. Do not be afraid for what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison and test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. And okay, I'm glad to have some persecution for Jesus Christ. Bring it on. 10 days in prison, I could do that for the cross. But then it says, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. I don't know about that. Every year in our youth group, we play a game called Romans versus Christians. And the kids love it. I mean, it's a flashlight game where the kids are the Christians and they've got to go find the church and they've got to bring as many to the church as they, as they can. Meanwhile, us adults are the Romans and we have flashlights and we, we capture the kids and we take them into prison for a certain amount of, of time that they have to stay there. And the kids have a lot of fun with that game, but at the end, I always normally will always share these words in Revelation 2.10 and tell them and share with them that this, for many, is not a game. For many of those early Christians, this was their life every single day, that they had to fear for their life to follow Jesus Christ. And it's not just an issue of persecution back in that day. It goes on today as well. There's just as many martyred for the sake of Jesus Christ today as there ever has been. And then I asked them, how important is your faith to you? Is your relationship with Christ number one in your life? Is my faith, is your faith more important than your life? Would you be willing to die for your faith in Jesus Christ? And there's a, definitely a part of me that never wants to have to answer that question. For those early Christians, and especially that church in Smyrna, they were preparing every day their minds, they were preparing every day their hearts, they were preparing every day their souls to give it all if they were asked to. For those early Christians, all they had was Jesus. They were poor. People looked down on them. They were the outcasts of society, and it was even dangerous to be a Christian. But if you would ask that church in Smyrna, they would have told you that we are the richest people in this city. They knew the words of Paul that said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. They knew what Jesus said in Mark 8, that the, what good is it for someone to gain the whole, whole world yet forfeit their very soul? The calling was and will always be is to be faithful to Jesus' calling in our lives no matter what. Hebrews 11 one says this about what it means to be faithful. 
What it means to have faith, it says faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It says that it is impossible to please God without faith. Do you possess a faith like that? And before you beat yourself up with the answer, boy, I hope so. Or I don't know. Or even I just, I just hope that I've never faced with that. Or I've failed so many times, I don't know how I could answer yes to that question. I want to remind each one of us that each of the disciples scattered whenever Jesus was on the cross, went to the cross. Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of, of silver. And Peter, or I'm sorry, and Peter denied his name three times. And of course, of course, because we live in the flesh, there is going to be a temptation to compromise our faith. But there, is definitely, there was definitely a great difference for those disciples once they encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ, the first and the last who died and came to life again. They were all willing to, to die. They were all willing to die for the cause of Christ because they had that kind of intimate relationship. They had that kind of intimate faith in him. And last week, I, we talked about Ephesus, who, who was a suffering church. But there was a rebuke because they had lost that love. Their heart wasn't to love others, and they received that rebuke. In this letter to the church in Smyrna, it's one of two letters that is not a rebuke. Instead, it's a calling to stay faithful in the face of persecution, to stay faithful no matter what. And it was interesting this week that our leadership, through email and text, gave insight to the text of last week about that church that had lost their love. They had lost their first love. And there was great discussion about how we as a church here, here at East Point, we want to stay faithful even to the point of death. And we don't want to be that church that compromises and loses our first love. Always put Christ number one. And, and one of our one of our elders just shared some insight of what that compromise might look like. And I just wanted to share a few of those words. And he said this, he says, it's a compromise. We cannot compromise when Christ is no longer, it's a compromise whenever Christ is no longer the central focus of our life. If that's you, then something needs to change. If that's us, something definitely needs to change. It's a compromise whenever we neglect our relationship with the Lord and sp spend less time in prayer whenever we spend less time in worship, whenever we spend less time in the word of God, and if that's us, we're compromised. And something needs to change. It's a compromise whenever we allow family or friends or our job or our own desires to come between us and our relationship with God. And if that's us, then something needs to change. It's a compromise whenever we're caught in the cycle of dead works, What's our number one priority in the church as we truly and consistently, are we truly consistently loving people and bringing them to Christ and making disciples? And if that's not the case, then something needs to change. It's a compromise whenever we are more tolerant of sin. In this age of being tolerant, a lot of times we forget that there is a standard, and that's God's word. There is a standard. And that's God's will. For tolerating sin, then something needs to change. It's a compromise whenever we no longer have a burning passion 
for the lost. If we can look at somebody that is lost and look the other way, something needs to change. And I pray that we're a church that doesn't compromise them, but pray that we're a church that will always love no matter what, no matter how hard it is. And I pray that we always keep Christ as a focus, keep Christ in the cross as our joy and our salvation, because there is a fight going on every single day, a battle for our, for our hearts. And he's calling us to be faithful. In Mark 8, it says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And there definitely is a sacrifice to following Christ, but I want you to know that there's a greater sacrifice to doing it your own way. Any man who lives in vain will die in vain, but those who live for Christ and sacrifice for the cause of Christ will live with purpose and will live forever and will not die in vain. We really don't know. We really don't know what's going to be asked of us in this life, what cross we're going to have to bear, but we do know that there will be a great reward in the end. And there was a pastor in Smyrna who knew this with all of his heart, and his name was Polycarp. Polycarp lived from 69 to 155 AD. He was a personal disciple of John the Revelator, John the writer of Revelation, John from Patmos, the apostle John. He was a disciple of, he was discipled by John, and he was a presbyter of the church, which is just an elder, a pastor, and he was leading the church in Smyrna in 155 AD, as he had done for many years. But there was persecution against the Christians that broke out again, and the believers were being fed to the wild beasts of the arena, and the crowd began to call for the Christian's leader, Polycarp. So the authorities sent out a search party to bring him in. And it was a Friday afternoon. Polycarp was resting upstairs in a country home and they came in like a posse, fully armed as if they were arresting a hardened criminal. And Polycarp's friends wanted him to sneak out the back, but he refused saying, hey, God's will be done. In fact, Polycarp welcomed his captors as if they were friends. He talked to them, he got them food, he got them drink, he served them. And then Polycarp made one request that he may pray. And so they let him. The officers overheard the prayers. They began to have second thoughts about taking Polycarp in, but they knew what their duty was. And despite the cries of the crowd, the Roman authorities saw the senselessness of making this aged man a martyr. And so they tried to give him a way out. They went, they walked, they went to Polycarp and it was brought into the arena. And the proconsul approached him and they said, hey, just curse Christ and we will, we will release you. But Polycarp had probably read this letter that Jesus wrote and, and penned by his disciple or apostle John. He probably read this probably a thousand times. He knew who he lived for. He knew that his death would not be in vain and that there was a greater reward for him. And so he looked to that authority and he said with confidence, 80 and six years. I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with fire that burns for a season, and after a while it is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. 
And with that, the guards went to, went to tie him at the stake to be burned. And he said, no, there's no need to tie me. I will go willingly. And he prayed this prayer, Father, I bless you. I bless you that you have deemed me worthy of this day and this hour that I might take a portion of the martyrs in the cup of Christ. And at that, he was burned at the stake, finished off with a dagger. And it was noted, and it was noted many times in many accounts that I read by the believers of that day that it didn't smell like burning flesh, but it rather smelled as a loaf of bread baking. In 2 Corinthians, it says this. It says, for we... For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to the, to the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. And who? Who is adequate for these things? Just like myrrh. As followers of Christ, we are at our best. We shine the brightest. We give off the sweetest aroma when we are pressed. When there is tribulation. When there is affliction. And we continue to be obedient and faithful to Christ. In spite of our circumstances. I want you to know this week, I was so encouraged by the sweet aroma of our people that continue to be faithful in spite of circumstances. A couple of ladies came to me early in the week and they just shared that someone that used to go to East Point, was in a really tough situation dealing with cancer, dealing with death, knowing that there was going to be some financial burdens, came to me and said, we need to help. One of them said, I know that I can give half my savings. How can we, how can we help these people? There was another couple that I've, had a phone, another couple of phone conversations I had with somebody from our church that had a bad accident, a serious accident. I could tell she was in pain. But her words to me was, God is good. He is so good. As I was able to pray with her. There's another couple going through health and financial issues and got an opportunity to go and I thought I was going to encourage them, but they encouraged me in so many ways. Going through so many tough times, they said, just give me more Jesus. I want more Jesus. Another of our older members is going through medical issues and can't be with us at this time because of those issues. Just called to say, hey, there's something going on with my credit card. I want to make sure that my tithe is going through. I want you to know that there were several other conversations I could not, could not share even this week. But over and over and over and over again, our people said, have stepped into crisis in this world and said, how can I help? What more can I do? 
How can I serve him even through what's going on in this world? Saying yes to his calling in spite of the circumstances, being faithful is what they have practiced, is what, who they are. 86 years I have served, and he has done me no wrong. How could I not be obedient now? 2 Corinthians says this, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And as I look back at today's love letter, as I ponder its words, its meaning, as I ponder the power of those words that they hold, they remind me of God's great purpose for me. Not that I should just die a martyr, but that I would live a life worthy of its calling. And that may all who follow me find me faithful. May all who follow us find us faithful. And I think out of all the love letters that I could receive in this world, this one right here, this is the one that I would choose from the one who died for me, from the one who loved me, that he would deem me, that he would deem us worthy to take a portion of the martyrs in the cup of Christ. James 1, 2 through 4 says, says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. For the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you are mature and complete and not lacking anything. I'm so thankful as I look back at the opportunities that I've had to serve Jesus Christ I'm most thankful for those times when it's hard. When it's tough. I'm thankful that I serve a God that went to the cross for me. Showed me what it was to be faithful and to love. There's no greater love than when one lays down his life for his brother. And maybe there's somebody here today that has just never said yes, never put him first in their life, never said yes to what Jesus did for them, and they would like to have that kind of love. They'd like to be on that kind of road that leads to victory, that leads to a great reward someday, and that you will not, you know that you will not die in vain, that you will have purpose. Maybe there's somebody that's never said yes. If, if that's you, come forward after. Maybe there's somebody here that needs prayer as well. Come forward afterwards and uh, receive God's great blessing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day that you've made. We thank you for your word and how it speaks to us. We're thankful for these love letters. Express your love. And definitely challenge us. God, you know it's best whenever we are pressed, whenever there are trials, whenever there are tribulations, 
And help us to be obedient. Help us to stay faithful. In spite of our circumstances. And I pray that it's just an encouragement. This word is an encouragement to everyone out there. Because I know that there's a lot of trials going on right now. God, I know that you're walking through those trials with each one. And I just pray a blessing on them. May they feel your presence. May they feel your healing. May they feel your love. God, we love you. We thank you for all you do. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.